Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Redbeard Radio. Uh, I'm your host, Drew Austin, founding partner of Redbeard Ventures. And this week, this episode is sponsored by Alto. Alto lets individuals invest in all kinds of alternative assets with their retirement funds through a self-directed IRA. It's an easy-to-use platform that allows investors to bring their own deals to AngelList and access a variety of different alts through integrated partners. And now with the launch of Alto Marketplace, you can invest in leading private funds, typically reserved for the ultra-wealthy and professional investors. So check out alto.com slash marketplace for their new platform and uh, get started investing today. And I'm really excited for this episode because we have my buddy John Poller from founder of ETH Denver and founder of Opolis. John, how are we doing, buddy? This is uh, This is your like tax season right now. Yeah, great, man. Um, it's uh, showtime. So, like, literally two days from now, we do the middle week kickoff. Okay. So, tell, you know, tell me about what, what is so like before we even jump into it. What is it, Denver? Give me the story behind it all. What? Because, like, for those that don't know about it, because it's actually a really, really cool event. I made it my first time. I think it was last year or the year before, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so Eat Denver started as kind of a almost a selfish pet project for me. Um, I was looking for some Solidity developers and to build a project back in 2017, and I, I couldn't find any. So um, the only people I could find were in Toronto that were $350 an hour, you know, and we didn't even know what we wanted to build, you know. So like we, we were just like had no idea what we were doing. So we had a really big meetup scene here in Colorado happening though in the spring of 2017 where like, I mean, the, meet, the Ethereum meetup used to be like, I don't know, 15 guys in some shitty bar. Yeah. And then we ended up in like June with like 300 people in a 200 person whitelist and renting, you know, basically getting a whole floor donated to us by some tech company downtown, right. To like host these meetups. And we're like, Holy shit. Like, and a lot of them, I mean, most of them were devs, you know, this was very kind of sort of organic, like builder interest signal. And we're just like, you know, we should do a hackathon because like none of them knew how to build anything. Though. They're smart guys, but like they yeah. didn't know how to do anything. And so um, I just, <laughs> I went to the founders of the meetup. I really quick, that, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but how did you break into, like devs aren't the ones who usually show up to conferences and meet up. So like, how did you break into that? Colorado thing, man. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's, um, Colorado's an interesting culture, you know, it's very, you know, politically speaking, you could say it's kind of purple. People are pretty pragmatic here. They don't really get too terribly ideological about stuff. You know, they just, they just want to like YOLO and have a good time. They're very curious. They're builders. You know, there's yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs here. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of tech companies here. And when you think about the, the, the web three ethos or this sort of, you know, Bitcoin ethos that fits kind of a purple mold, you know, it's, it's uh, somewhat libertarian and, oh. you know, sort of break the mold, don't conform, but like be productive, you know, like, so it just kind of fits, you know, I was talking with governor Polis about this, you know, a few years ago and, you know, why we think that Colorado is a good fit for the epicenter of web three innovation in the country. And that's, it's largely a cultural thing. I mean, if you look at the coast, whether it's New York, which is more financial center, you know, regulators, you know, big banking and all of that. And then you got San Francisco, which is like tech bro culture, 
you know, it's just, you know, VCs and startups and all that. It's like, they don't like the pure nature of crypto doesn't really fit either one of those. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the nature of crypto actually reminds me of the early days of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Well, Silicon Valley has changed a lot, obviously. In no, the early years. Years. It's pre-sales. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of OG days of, you know, Wild West sort of innovation and, you know, totally. backroom That's deals it. and crazy shit going on. Right. So I think, yeah. I think you're right. I think crypto is, is, is different, uh, mm-hmm. than, than that. Um, it's, it's similar, but next generation of that. So in any case, I went to the founders of the meetup who are good friends of mine. And I just said, you know, cause I was one of the early dorks and I was like, you know, we should do a hackathon. And they're like, yeah, we tried that once and like nobody showed and blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, I was like, I'm talking about like, we keep talking about Colorado being great for this. We should just make Colorado great for this. Like we should just build an event, get everybody to come globally and that'd be awesome. And they're like, yeah, but how are you going to get anybody to come or what, you know, Colorado in winter and all. Cause I was talking about like February and they're like, nah, and I was like, I want, look, if you don't want to help, that's fine. But like, I'll do it. I'll do the work, but I just need sort of your blessing to use the ETH Denver, Ethereum Denver, you know, meetup name. Right. And they're like, whatever, dude, cool. You know, so one thing led to another. And before you knew it, I'd raised a few hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, what we thought was going to be 300 people in the first year ended up being 1,500 wow. from like 40 countries. It was 2018 now? 2018, February 2018. So this is our seventh installation. Wow, wow. Um, and then when did it start to really kind of go from, you know, let's say 1,500 to what I saw last year, which was way more than that after the well really it was i our last irl attendance before the pandemic was 2020 and that was about 2500 people okay so we went 1500 to 2000 to 2500 in three years got it and then in 2021 we had 31,000 people virtually wow when we did it actually we did it in in my 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 gym basement my basement gym over here because we didn't you know it's pandemic we couldn't yeah. go anywhere and yeah. we set up a like we set up like a broadcast studio in my basement and like where i'm sitting right now is like command center and like we just drank tequila and yeah it's know, awesome it, it screwed around for a week i mean it was a very different kind of event but we had thirty one thousand unique people urls show up yeah so um or IP addresses, I should say. Um, but it, 2022 was when the doors really blew it off because, you know, we were expecting going back to IRL. Okay, we were trying to guess at it, you know. Okay, so 2,500 last time, you know, I don't know, double maybe. I mean, we had so many people virtually. Like, it's it's now gotten a lot of more attention. Um, but virtual is different, you know? So like, I don't know, five grand seems good. And, you know, at the time the sports castle, which was our old venue, that was about the max that you could handle in that venue. So we're like, okay, we're not going to move venues. We're just going to be, we're going to be good. You know, I heard, I heard that was the one I didn't go to. And I heard it was a shit show. 
like just so many people. Oh, it was a total shit show because we ended up with 28,000 applications. And so we're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, yeah. What do we do? You know, it's a free event. We don't want to just close the doors, uh, you know, and, and, you know, selecting people for tickets got really arbitrary, right? Because it was like, who do you know, right? So we just, we started renting other buildings up and down the street. And the original idea was we were going to kind of evolve into like a South by Southwest thing where it was like, you know, different venues, different topics, sort of more decentralized. And we're like, oh, that fits with the kind of ethos of the decentralization. But in reality, um, we had a four-hour line outside the, the main event venue in the sports castle in the freezing-ass cold. And some of these other venues that we had rented on the street were like half empty. So, it didn't so what that told us is everybody wanted to be together. You know, yeah. They were willing to wait to be in the hub versus being decentralized. So nobody really wanted that. They didn't want it. And, and we're like... Okay. So then they decided, uh, they, meaning the people who bought the sports castle are doing a big renovation project on it right now. Actually, it's pretty sad to see what they've done to this place. Um, it's a registered landmark, so they can, there's only so much they could, there's like certain parts of it they can't touch, right? They can't disturb it. Um, but they pretty much gutted everything else. So I don't know what they're going to do with that venue. I've heard that there might even be um, some small events that are happening there, sort of out of homage to, you know, OGE Denver. Yeah. I think they've capped it now at like 200 people you can have in the building. You know, it's like, it's not a lot, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a shell of its former self. So then we, we started looking for, um, how do we replicate this sort of like grungy, we broke into a building, set up shop for a weekend, you know, cypherpunk vibe thing. Mm -hmm. And that's where the National Western comes in because it's actually older than the sports castle. It's built in 1909. Hmm. And, um, you know, they got about a million square feet in total event space. I thought it was, thought it was a great it was a great location for the spot i thought it worked oh well. it's super great and you know it's uh you guys yeah, do yeah. some people who i don't know why they they bitch about like well why don't you guys just go to a proper conference center it's like we do this on purpose dude like yeah yeah we could go anywhere we want like easy but like i don't want to go to a ho stuffy hotel or some great, you know blood conference center like no it's a vibe yeah it's exactly right like and you do it at the same place as you did it last year yeah, well, okay. we, we're we're going to continue to do it there. I think um, they've got plans to expand the campus. They've got buildings that they're going to build. They've got other things that they're going to do there. Mm -hmm. uh, location wise, it works. Um, it's not the most convenient thing to get around downtown. But then again, I'm not trying to be, um, you know, everybody's freaking Uber driver. You know, like we have an event to run, and you can get where you need to go. And just because it's a little bit off the beaten path over here isn't my problem. You know, like. We're going to bring a little group to uh, Meow Wolf because I thought that was the coolest place. I thought. Yeah, I Meow Wolf is fun, man. You know, do a little bit of, uh, you know, Colorado entertainment and go over there, you know, and it's, it's a good time. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's damn right. Um, so, so okay. now, you know, so what is Eat Denver now? Eat Denver is the world's largest live action Web3 experiment is what it is. So we are community owned. We're a DAO. Um, we have a legal wrapper of uh, cooperative, which we pioneered that framework. Um, 
we are experimenting with technology and, and engagement and contribution and governance and like other things to try to showcase this next generation idea of how you create communities, how communities can govern themselves, uh, create value, accrue value, distribute value, and you know become sustainable both economically and from a standpoint of benevolence. So we're we're trying to show people what's possible in web three, not just, you know, talk, 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 talk about it on the stages. Sure. Sure. What is the, um, like, how is it funded? Is it revenue? Completely, completely by the community sponsors. It's hundred percent sponsor funded. Uh, we raise millions of dollars a year to blow wow. in a week. Wow. Amazing. Just to, in, you know, basically reinvent the community. It's unbelievable. It's wild. We'll have 180 sponsors, Uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars. You know, this is how we create the the experience though. This is how we're able to invest in the community and we don't have a mandate of, you know, maximizing profits like a C-Corp would have because we're a co-op, right? So we focus on sustainability. We focus on um, creating an excellent event out the back door. We are now investing in, um, projects through Buffacorn Ventures, which is, you know, our early stage first money in to precede sort of like, you know, investment arm that basically creates a regenerative value flow back to the community when they're a success. I love it. I love yeah, it. It's very cool. Yeah. So, okay. So two questions. First question that comes to mind is in retrospect, would you have called it East Denver? Um, or would you have called it crypto Denver or web three day? Do you feel it's become like an ETH maxi event or do you think that, or it's oh, limited? No. We, get, we get a lot of, we get a lot of shit from I, the foundation. You, you do. Oh, you get a lot from ETH, uh, Ethereum foundation that they help a lot with we this. Get a ton of shit. We get a ton of shit. Um, they, they, well, they, they don't always say it directly to my face. Um, I mean, we're friendly. We're friends. We like oh, them. You're they saying, like, oh, you're saying, you mean that you get shit like they're not support. I, I thought you meant like they support you a lot. It's the opposite you're saying? No, wow. they support us. We get why, no why? financial support from the foundation. None. Why is that? Why is that? Do you have any idea? Well, that we don't need their help. Well, I mean, they could just be a, another sponsor or a partner. Yeah. You tell me, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't understand how the, why the foundation does most of what it does. Yeah. Um, there is a sentiment that I've been told directly and indirectly from the foundation. Not, not all, not everybody. And I don't think that this is necessarily a foundation stance mm-hmm. um, that they find it um, undermining difficult maybe for them that we allow other layer ones, other non-Ethereum projects to come and, and, and be prominent sponsors. Now I'll remind them that in 2018, uh, in Osaka, Japan, you know, Tezos was a presenting sponsor for the Ethereum, for DevCon. So like, you know, yeah. Okay, well, dude. If, know, they, if they don't, if they don't want that, buy the exclusive rights, right? Like, I mean, that's possible. Well, but, but even then, so here's here's my stance. I think it's antithetical to Web three to do that, and and here's why I would say that. Um, I, I we agree. have really kind of a bookend of litmus test on on like who we allow to sponsor. Number one, you just got to be generally net positive. So you know, if you're Doquan or SBF or any of these guys, we're not going to take your money. Okay. okay. And there's other guys who aren't in jail 
or aren't being indicted that we don't take their money actively. Um, I'll use one example, and it's Tron. We won't take their money. They ask me, they go around me, they try to get in, they try to do all sorts of stuff. And we, you know, I'm not putting Justin's son on my stage. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do it. And that's, it's, it's primarily because the community doesn't feel like they're net positive. Okay. Yeah. Now, net positive isn't a super high bar, in my opinion. No. Okay. It's not a high bar. Okay. All you got to do is be somewhat sincere yeah. and, you know, have a reasonable project that's not a total scam. And, you know, be somewhat of a contributor to the, to the ecosystem. I can even hate your business model. I can hate everything about your project and you can still be net positive. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, this isn't some moral high horse crap. This is a, a basic bar that you've got to hit. So like, I'll give you an example. Hedera Hashgraph has been a great supporter of the Denver community. Totally. Okay? Now I like their tech, but I can't stand their governance. And I don't feel like they're very good at building community. Now, I say that lovingly, but when mm -hmm. they've set up their business the way that they have and the way that they sort of message and build community, it doesn't resonate with the people that come to Eat Denver very much. Now, they, they dutifully come back and they continue to evolve and try to support and, and be there. I don't have a problem with them doing that. Like, if they were so great with their tech and their community building chops and all this stuff – Shouldn't they win? Shouldn't the best protocol and the best community win? So like the way I see it is like being ETH maxis is, is kind of antithetical to crypto. I, which is why I was asking, do you regret calling it ETH Denver? I mean, not really. I mean, I, I think now it's hard to change it because the brand value is just so widely known and understood. You say ETH Denver and everyone's like, oh, yeah. Asked, if I change – I asked a couple of people that were in the Bitcoin ecosystem or even the future versus like, are you guys going to this? And like, ah, we don't really go to ETH events. And I'm like, you know, I was like, ah, you know, it's really not that, although it's called and, ETH. And yeah, that's, it's, and really it's, it's sort that. of a double edged sword. I mean, I think on the one end, like we do have a lot of really old school contributors and projects and people that are very near and dear to my heart from the Ethereum community. Without a doubt. Um, but then the, the, the tent has grown, right. And the canvas has gotten bigger. So like, you know, we, we've got other names that we're going to experiment with when we expand, um, internationally, uh, we oh, are so planning on having oh, that's um, some feeder events or satellite events, one in Asia, one in Europe. Um, we'll start launching those this year, huh. um, tests, you know, to see, you know, what the appetite is in, uh, in other jurisdictions for our brand of thing, right? Would you, ever do um, it in, would you ever do it in another location in the United States or is Denver the spot for you? No, I, I, you know, when people ask me, hey, man, you want to come help me with ETH Atlanta or ETH whatever, right? Fill in the blank. They have no idea how much work we put into laying the ground here in the community. They have no idea. Okay. And so like anybody who's, you know, I, I appreciate the well-intendedness. I appreciate the happy puppiness. I appreciate all that. But like, do you know how well entrenched we are in the community here with the governor's office, with the securities commissioner, with all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to do that. How well, you know, my first question I ask people is like, how, how well connected are you? Yeah. How involved in the community are you? And most of the time it's like, whoa, you know, we got to meet up and, you know, whatever. It's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Some of my work is almost pseudo-political. 
right? Like I'm involved in like a lot of stuff and I'm not like leading the charge, but like I've got relationships and I know people in various areas of the, of the government or in just areas of the community leadership or whatever, in order to get the kind of support that we needed to make this what it is, we couldn't have done it without it. So moving it somewhere else, I mean, Denver's got one of the easiest airports to get it in and out of, you know, lodging isn't really an issue. Um, yeah, it's not cosmopolitan, like say Manhattan or whatever, but it's, you know, it's a major city. You've got great culinary scene. You've got great sports. We got great everything you want. So like, I don't know. It just, I wouldn't move it. Okay. So if the community decides at some point that they don't like Denver anymore and they want to go to Salt Lake city or Portland or some shit, or even San Francisco, knock yourselves out. But like, I, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, it's, I, I have this like dream in my head of uh, in the future. So I moved to uh, Westport, Connecticut, about um, a little over a year ago, and I, and I, and I, and I, I find that Connecticut has a lot. I love Connecticut. I think it's been wonderful since I've been Connecticut's here. Great. I love. It's it. a very well kept secret for people who who live and and hang out in New York. I mean, it's totally. very well kept. Hour and ten minute drive. Hour ten minute train. It's really wonderful. Yeah, the train's like I an hour, right? Yeah, exactly, and the um, and I've been very and, and I've 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 actually had the conversations with the government here because they're very interested in supporting and growing the tech community out here because it's been booming since the pandemic since people didn't have to be in the office five days a week Connecticut has become the hotspot so there's like this Austin potential and I said to the and I said I was in a meeting with um, the guys who work at the innovation office and the city venture arm and all this stuff and I was saying you know there's something to be said like you know it's almost looked at as a little bit of a joke but it's like there's something to be said for what South by Southwest did for Austin. I've been to South, I've been to Austin, Texas now 12 times in my life, 10 of them for South by, and I would have never been there probably ever if it wasn't for South by. Um, and I think that South by really put Austin on the map. Well, you know, it, it did. Um, and, and I think it, it sort of lost its um, sort of original spirit after the corporate interest got involved and sort of co-opted it. Um, which we're not, as long as I'm around, we're not going to let that happen. Um, but, you know, the estimate last year was something around $50 million in economic injection into the city. Yeah. Okay. It's wonderful. I mean, you think that the, the tourism board, the mayor's office, the governor's office isn't paying attention to that. Of course. That's what they care about, dude. That's, that's exactly what they care about. Okay. Yeah. You know, hotel taxes and all these things. This is what they care about. When they talk about economic development and international trade, this is what they promote is tourism and conferences and things like that. So we're now one of the top 10 in the entire state. And, you know, it, not only are we doing our part economically to support the local community, but we now have the attention of these folks on, okay, what is it that you're doing actually? Yeah. Which, which sort of is a loose brick to having more meaningful, meaningful conversations about like actually how to get, you know, mass use adoption in certain contexts and, yeah. you know, I don't know, crypto payment, we do the crypto payments for food trucks. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was like some universal system of crypto payment acceptance for food trucks in Denver where you yeah. could just cruise around and just do that. And if you want to subsidize them that, you just issue these tokens and the vendors can take them and cash them in for, for money. Right. Like, and you could, you could totally do this without anybody knowing or understanding crypto wallets, like, because we've done it. We, we've, we know how to do it. So like, yeah, I think there's, there's one of the realizations that I had a long time ago 
and you'll see this actually showing up in this year's content. Um, you know, crypto started very, you know, much crypto anarchy and, you know, like Bitcoin, like we're just, we're sort of just exiting the system. It's sort of the voice and exit thing where you're like, I'm just out, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to unbank myself. I'm just going to ignore everything that you're doing and hope that you go away, right? Um, I don't think that's how we're going to see innovation in the United States. That might happen in some other countries. It might happen in, in El Salvador or something, but it, it's, it's definitely not going to happen here. Um, we have to fight hard to get a regulatory and government landscape that's friendly to this innovation. Without a doubt. And I, I don't think that you're going to do that by thumbing your nose at them. Um, it's some of it's patience and long game. And some of it's just, you got to do the work and you got to show up and you got to contribute. Coinbase has been the perfect example. And I think they've been the absolute, the, the shepherd, we, they're the hero we, we, we need. You know, they really are. Well, you know, I've been critical of Brian and um, I, on one end of it, you know, look at this and go, well, you're a publicly traded crypto company that claims to be working on open source and all this, but your incentives don't align with that at all, dude. Like, but they you do. care about stock rights. But they do in a way because of yeah, the really. I mean, if you want to talk about how how stock prices driven and fees and all that kind of stuff, it's I, it's, it's, I, I look beyond that. I look anyway. At my point is like, as much as is, I have my criticisms. I think when you talk about community contribution and being the stalwart of and standing for something, dude. I mean, who else is doing the regulatory fight? Without a doubt, nobody. Okay, no one's got the guns to do it aside from them. So like as much as like this is what I'm talking about, like net positive, like I can disagree with lots of business model decisions, but like in the end, that that's a huge feather in their cap when it comes okay. to like, you know, big salutes and kudos, guys. Like I appreciate you doing that. Without a doubt. You got to be able to see the forest through the trees and like, you know, if they were just a bunch of extractive assholes, just maximizing transactional fees and not giving a shit about anything else, you would see that. We would see it. Okay. Now, they definitely care about profits and they should because they have a fiduciary duty to do that. Of They're course. a C Corp. Yep. Okay. Now, that's that by itself is somewhat antithetical to crypto, but they've done a good job at sort of threading the needle and sort of managing it to an extent and playing what I would consider more of a long game strategy. So, like, kudos to Brian for that. Yep. Like, you know, and I stand corrected in mm -hmm. my initial sort of criticisms of them. And, uh, you know, I'm, we, we've been very supportive of them as a result of that, like, yep. because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a world of reciprocity and I'm in a position to help out Coinbase when they need it. And so we do. Yep. You know, okay. here's a, here's the thing I wanted. So we were talking about Austin and South by for a minute. And I remember, you know, every year I'd go to South by, I always kind of left South by and I was like, you know, what was the trend or the winner or the company that really stood out to me each year? And I found it to be one of the, the landmark. It was like one of these monumental memories for me were like the different things that really like took off at trends, South. Yeah. yeah. The trends that like, that really showed itself through. Totally. So like, you know, I remember it was Twitter, it was Foursquare, it was, um, it was group me. It was, you know, I remember for years it was like the scooter transportation. It was, mm -hmm. you know, there was, 
all these different, you know, mobility. It was, there's always these different, you know, and then I think one year we had a crypto, one year, I forgot which year it was. One year I think crypto really shined. I don't remember which one. But uh, so my question for you is over the years from 2018 to now, if you go through each year and think about it, or at least like some, or broadly, like what do you think have been the major like shifts or trends or winners, you know, kind of that, that kind of well, stood we've, out? We've done, we've done our share of predictions on this. Um, I mean, I called year 2019. I didn't have a prediction in 2018. I was still cutting yeah. my teeth, honestly. And um, <sighs> I'm just happy to be there. Really? Yeah. I was like, shit, all these people are showing up. It's awesome. <laughs> You know, yeah. what are we gonna do? Um, but then I, I started really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty, um, I'm pretty good at sort of reading the tea leaves. So I, I started talking about the year of DeFi in 2019. So we called um, 20, East Denver 2019 the year of DeFi. And actually it was the summer of 2020 that actually became the summer of DeFi, right? Which was about a year early. Which is right. In, That's Denver. The East Denver in 2020, we were talking about the year of the Dow. And we were about a year and a half early again. And, you know, we actually did the first, you know, on-chain voting experiment live action with our hackathon projects on, you know, with the Dow, you know, in 2020. I appreciate actually a little bit the fact that you guys were a little bit ahead of each trend because it's a builders conference and builders have oh, to. Oh, yeah. Be well, and, well cool. and, and this is this is what I think people come for. I You know, there's a lot of conferences that that are out there that just do a lot of the talky 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 but like we're the only major event in the world that's core event is the hackathon i yeah i thought last year I mean, I don't know. continue continue i want to see what else you thought was some of the other trends so then 2021 uh we were right on schedule with uh the year of the nft yep yep for okay like right on schedule like we were spot on the money okay with that one and so that rode out and then 2022 ended up being DAOs. And so we kind of went back to that because um, in 2021, we had actually uh, evolved ETH Denver to be a DAO. So then yeah. we started doing all the DAO ticketing and the DAO membership and all this kind of stuff. So DAOs were like really big. So then we, we did that. And then 2023 was like, there wasn't a lot that honestly came out in terms of directionality. I think the industry searching for its identity I thought last year, if I was to pick one, I thought it was um, infrastructure. I thought it was ZK Tech. I thought ZK well, it's was all cool. layer twos, right? But but that's it's always been sort of a constant underpinning, sure. you know, scaling, interoperability, privacy. Was like last year was very to me. It was everyone was talking about zero knowledge proofs. I thought I, I saw so much mm -hmm. of that type of discussion, which I thought was really interesting. Well, we, and we, we had that was a huge piece of our our conversation. Um, interestingly. I think the thing that might make me a little bearish on on crypto generally is I would think I would have thought by now that we would have solved the protocol wars. Yeah, I know. We're not there yet, but we're getting closer. And, and there's more of them coming, right? So, you know, and if you look at the incentives from the investment community, because protocol tokens monetize and, and it's easy to kind of, you know, get in and out, like there's incentive to create more of these, even if they're not valuable to the community and you know, and we're still talking about it, right? So what I think, so one of the things you're going to see this year, if you, there's two things that, that I'm promoting and pushing, there's still a huge underpinning of 
ZK fill in the blank and layer twos and protocol wars and all that fine. Okay. I think at some point that's going to get solved because I think the appetite for those tokens are going to go away at some point, or at least just be like, okay, guys, we got to solve it. Um, or there's just going to be a clear winner. And once that happens, there's two things. Regulatory clarity, especially in a uh, an election year, is important as 2024. Uh, we have Hester Pierce coming from the SEC. We have uh, the Securities Commissioner from Colorado. We have members of Congress. We have Robert Kennedy Jr. coming on Saturday night, March 2nd. Um, we have like a whole litany of people that are going to come and speak on various opinions, insights around getting real regulatory environments here that are in, that are um, conducive to innovation, friendly to innovation. Um, the last couple of years, especially during the Biden administration, we've been running things offshore. You know, Elizabeth Warren's not helping much, okay? She's uh, become not just a dog whistle, but a loud barking dog. And like, she's really got control. From my view, she's got control of the crypto policy in the in the environment administration, it's completely inappropriate, and it's 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 uh, cutting your nose not just your nose off to spite your face. It's cutting your face off to spite your face, and we can't have this kind of hostility and expect to be a, a, a respected destination of innovation. Forget Denver, okay? As a country, we're toast, and this genie is out of the bottle. So if we care about this needs to get solved. So we're going to have some pretty avant-garde, we're setting controversial precedence. conversations about this. We're, we're not only setting precedents for how we engage with crypto. We're setting precedents for how we engage with AI, how we engage with other advancing technologies that we can't, that we're not yet ready to feel fully comprehend. The way we interact with those types of new advancements and the, the fear and the skepticism is going to be a constant going forward if we fuck this up now. Hundred percent, and so we've got a big, uh, you know, uh, marquee panel happening between Eric Voorhees, Ilya uh, from Near, the founder of Near, and Marguerite de Corcel about the convergence of AI and blockchains, and 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 why a decentralized AI is so critical uh, to preserving, you know, freedom and creativity and innovation. Because, you know, just like anything else, it's just like, oh, digital currency is the way of the future. But yeah, you could go CBDCs, bad idea. Or you could go, you know, you know, die stable coins, you know. And they're, they're, yeah, they're both digital currencies, but like they're very, very different things. One is highly controlled, centralized, authoritarian. And the other one is, you know, open, permissionless and, and decentralized, right? So, you know, they depend on the ignorance of the people to kind of force these narratives. So we look at ChatGPT and how it's become really Microsoft. I mean, it's centralized, and that's not even the worst offender. I mean, I was, I was the, the the Google version of it's worse. It's terrible. I mean, it's so slanted and just you know, it's programmed to to almost like just feed propaganda. It's wild, right? So AI in its purest sense would never do that, right? If you actually had a decentralized, open, transparent, you know, system that was that was learning. There's a huge, that that actually, I don't know if it'll be this year, but within the next two years, that I think AI on the blockchain needs to become one of the most prevalent discussed trends at an East Denver type of event. Oh, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a conversation this year, but I think next year probably will be the big 
the big I agree. kahuna I agree. on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're I just agree. not, we're, no one's really ready for it. The, the fidelity no, of the like, systems. Right, right the now it's very it's right. Well, I was talking about this a year ago. Um, I was like, you know, look at DAOs v1 and all the governance issues that we've got, you know, just even executing on chain transactions. Like, you know, you have to have humans curating the transactions. You got to have multi-sigs or, you know, trusted people doing certain things. What if you could actually have, you know, sort of these AI agents that are programmed to be benevolent to a certain set of rules around, say, a bylaws and, it literally couldn't go off the script. Like it just does what it's, you know, basically signaled to do by on-chain voting, by outcomes, by, you know, some governance structure. And then you don't have to have these fail points, these, you know, these vectors of threat. And they could ask, they could act as the sentinel for these communities. And you could basically have a layer of, of sort of sustainability and benevolence built into the structure through AI technologies, executing smart contracts. And like, when I was talking about this, people were like, what? Like, well, uh, I mean, so this is just not even a year ago, right. That I was talking about. So the fact that it's even gotten this far, I think is big. Yeah. But next year is going to be even bigger. I think it's, once the the sort of political landscape gets figured out, if it gets figured out, <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to have a big push into the convergence of. Uh, I think the the concept of decentralized technologies is going to expand, mm-hmm. and AI is going to have to come under that tent. Well, I, I think the biggest shortcoming so far of of DAOs in, in and of itself is the fact that we have decentralized, we have organizations, we have done nothing towards the word autonomous. So I actually believe that DAOs haven't scratched the surface yet. We have no idea what a DAO can really do. I've actually, I was just, I actually just posted on Farcaster because I've been getting more involved in the Farcaster ecosystem. I think that's really interesting um, about how I'm looking for companies. Cool content on, on frames and Farcaster as well. Yeah, I'm excited about. And it's it. great um, use case. I think I think social network social graphs, totally. uh, user experience, user experience, UI, you know, totally. all of these things converging in the social world. Love it. I think Love this it. is a really great use case. Yeah, totally. So I posted about how I, I'm very interested in investing and supporting companies that are working on like more of the large action models, not the language. I want to see, um, you know, actions take, because like the, the biggest shortcoming of DAOs is that, you know, you really are all looking around the room saying, who's doing the work here? And the reality is, like, we should be providing inputs to an AI that manages the the, the actions, manages the my exact point. It's a, it's a sentinel, and I think every it's, it's, a, it's a technological sentinel every that has, programming, yes, that has every, programming based on your bylaws, yes. based on your governance structure, and it just is and does right. It just that's works. That's the that's the future. Right? That's the future. You don't you don't need to you don't need to do anything except the actions that create the actions. Right? But you, know, so, you know anybody working on that, by the way, send them my way because I'm very interested in investing and supporting that type of infrastructure, especially for DAOs in itself. The one company that I've seen that's really aggressively put, pursuing that is the uh, the Zero Tech and Wilder World guys. I think they're the closest I've seen. Have you seen what Morpheus is doing? Morpheus? Morpheus. Yeah, it's Eric Voorhees' new project. Yeah, I, I don't know much about it, but I've heard about it. I would look at it. I, I mean, he's he's a, a brilliant thinker. You know, I don't know what the the, the actual like you know productization is going to look like yet because sure, they're sure. still working on some stuff. But yep. conceptually, um, it, it it sounds really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I would I would look. I'm 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 looking at it. Sure, so. sure. Yeah, of course. Okay, great. Well, let's go. Let, I want to let's let's think a little. Five years from now, what do you think East Denver is? Let's talk about that for a quick second. 
Well, uh, I'd love to see it. Well, we, I always refer to the e-time as a community of communities. We might actually be the world's largest active DAO when it comes to like the, the function of it. I mean, we're absolutely uh, very decentralized in a lot of ways, as much as we still have our hierarchical structure. What I'd like to see in five years is where um, we've basically created a template of how a decentralized community can function, operate sustainably, both economically and with benevolence. How we scale uh, value accrual, value distributions compliantly, and how we um, demonstrate legitimate, sustainable, positive sum games. Not just, you know, oh, we're just sort of putting lipstick on the pig of some old shit that we've already done, but like genuinely where the stakeholder alignment inside the game design is sustainable, it's um, proven, it's creating, accruing, and distributing value to its members and doing so in a way that showcases, again, the sort of how-to, the template of inspiring people to think about how to apply it in their context, right? Give them like, uh, you know, there was something that was said to me decades ago that really stuck with me. The most loving thing that you can do for anybody is set a good example. So all we're trying to do is, you know, it's easy to talk at people, especially, you know, there's a lot of people in crypto who say one thing and they do something else, right? So there, there's, it happens with people in general. There's not a ton of integrity all the time. So I think in crypto, if we want to be taken seriously, we've got to live integrity and we've got to walk the talk. And so that's what we're trying to build with the Denver is that example. So I'd like to get to a place where I can just sit back and enjoy it and watch the community just execute it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can still be cool and sip my tequila and whatever, yeah. but like, how hands on are you on the production side of this? I mean, it's massive. So like, how are you still? Well, at the this year I'm really hands on. Um, more so than I have been, it, it, you know, for me, it was always a side project and I had hired, I had a co-founder, Justin Moskowitz, who's still with us. Um, he's our lead creative director now, but um, we grew so fast and so big that like, you know, the operational execution of this got beyond his ability to do it. And so we had to hire some people from DreamHack where he used to work and we brought in some really big operations guns and, logistics procurement guys, contracts guys, you know, project manager types to like get into the guts of things. But I'm very much involved on the, you know, cultural side, the overall execution side, the, the executive side. So it's seasonal for me right now. It's most of my time. Um, But um, you know, after this is over, then, you know, of course, my day job, Opolis, is is still very much present. But I've got a great team at Opolis, too. So, like, I don't have to micromanage anybody. Like, yeah. we're, well, it's we're part, just it's part, it's a perfect methodically just grinding our stuff, you know. So, perfect transition. So, I'm just about to go into Opolis as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about Opolis for a minute. So, first, before we even, like, get into it, tell everybody a little bit about what is Opolis as a business? Let's just like start there first. So Opolis is uh, the first employment platform in the world aimed at the independent contractor as the primary customer. Okay, so in the taxonomy of payroll, you might call it like a solo EOR product. Um, 
so for people who know, you know, employment and payroll, so like, you know what I'm talking about, but employer of record is a very common sort of BPO or business process outsourcing function where you go to a company, uh, they'll process your payroll, they'll issue W-2s, they'll do the compliance filings, 941s, tax withholdings, benefits administration, all these various things. And you just pay them a bill to do it. And you don't, it, it's just sort of off your plate. You don't have to deal with it. Well, those, those services are reserved typically for, you know, small to mid-sized businesses or larger businesses that have, it's corp to corp. It's a B2B thing. We've moved that from B2B to B2C. So we've made it a basically retail product access to independent contractors, independent workers. So in other words, we've de- disintermediated the traditional employer out of the mix and we've created a legal structure that's compliant to allow independent workers to access these services on their own. So we call this self-sovereign employment for Web3 nerdery or call it portable employment for just average people where it's like now I've got employment for myself. I've got health care, group health care, quality group health care. I've got retirement plans access. I've got a W-2. I've got my withholdings, my retirement plans, everything that I want that I'm normally used to when I sort of subject myself to the bank. Right. But now if I've got a contract with say Redbeard and then I've got a six month gig, you're paying me B2B, right? But I'm paying myself, I'm paying my payroll. All you do is pay my invoice. And then if I take on a side hustle or two or three jobs or whatever, it doesn't matter. My insurance is never affected. My retirement's never affected as long as I can continue to make a paycheck. So the caveat is, the catch is you've got to be somewhat self-sustainable. You've got to be able to source your own work, right? But as long as you're adaptable and able, that's the normal ethos of the freelance economy. Well, and and, and eventually I think there are tools that we can build that I think the old school version of like things like job boards have too much extractive incentives at their core to actually be that helpful. Um, You know, if you could add these types of tools as like a call them like a loss leader where you could still monetize the payroll and the benefits and all the things that you're doing, but you just add all these other tools on top for free that, that make it easier for people to find work, easier for people to administer their business from accounting to legal to whatever, to getting their taxes done, to getting their you know banking done, home loans, whatever it might be. Opolis is going to evolve into your commercial command center as an independent worker, and you're not going to need anybody to give you permission to have access to basic stuff like healthcare or a W-2 just so to get a how, damn apartment. So, so how big is this today? Like how many members or how do you like think about scale? Well, we, we always think about annualized payroll volume. Okay. So payroll volume is the, is the North Star metric because it's the thing that everyone should care about. So whether you're an investor or you're uh, a member, how we make money, how we create sustainability, how we is growing that payroll volume. And it's non-competitive, right? So it's additive. So every new person that comes in isn't taking away from somebody else's vibrancy or abundance. Mm-hmm. It's actually additive to abundance. So we, we track total payroll volume and we're pushing 60 million annual right now. Great. That's great. Um, and, what and, is the- and I will say what I'm most proud about looking in the rear view of the, the bear market, which I feel like we're kind of starting to move out of yeah. um, starting, we shall see. But, um, you know, DeFi is depressed, DAOs are depressed, like, you know, all these sort of use cases that were like the high flyers, NFTs, they're all in the ditch right at the moment. 
and uh, the, it'll there will be a renaissance and there'll be a next generation there'll be a, a new trend but notwithstanding all of that we grew mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so all the dow communities that got their treasuries rugged then we lost members like all the just depressive sort of funding rounds not getting done and all this sort of drying up of like the resources around we still grew yep not huge no. but we didn't tank you yep. know and and so what it what it really shows is our business model is sticky it's a needed thing that people want and at scale it's going to print money because it's the economics of it are just so good that it's like, you know, if we get to 10,000 members, which we will, or when we get to 10,000 members, this thing just prints cash. So how do you, so if you can get to 10,000 members, you can get to 100,000 members easy. Totally. So how do you grow? What, what's like the growth? Like, like, is it growing on an individual basis? Is it growing after some kind of businesses? Is it going after DAOs? We've, we've gamified it. So uh, we, we, we have to create the right incentives for people to help us grow it because distribution in a B2C format for this type of product is almost impossible. So the reason why people don't do payroll products B2C is because it's almost impossible to distribute. Look at Deal, right? They started out looking, talking at independent contractors and we're going to be there to support them and all this. And then they pivoted to B2B EOR because distribution is way easier. The unit, unit economics just work better. So, I mean, this is the perfect place for a token economy to be able token network effects to take place. Thank it, you. Yes. So we've got both long tail and short tail. So we've got the work token, which is the long token, the long view, which is a patronage token in a Colorado co-op. So your pro rata ownership of that token based on supply, when we do a dividend or patronage distribution, you receive that distribution. It's only based on your membership though, not based on the token ownership. So it's, it's, a, it's a legal compliance thing, okay? Gotcha. Now, you are a coalition member in the commons, okay? So Redbeard, if you make referrals or if you're staking your tokens that you already have, you'll continue to accrue your interest. And then when we make a distribution, you're good to go. Now, the second thing that we've added, which is the short-term incentive, because you got to have long-term incentives and short-term incentives. you got to have both. Mm-hmm. We've now implemented, implemented a revenue share, 12%. So every member that uh, uh, either a coalition member or another member refers in perpetuity will earn 12% revenue share on that member. Fantastic. So whether it's insurance brokers or it's platform, you know, like um, freelancers union who we just signed a big deal with in the fall. VCs. VCs with uh, protocols, communities, DAO platforms, it doesn't matter, right? So we set up all these landing pages. We create what we call our total reach into the millions and millions and millions, right? We distribute our message, our content, our education to them. That mm-hmm. funnels down to lead generation, which funnels down to conversion into members, and it's just rinse and repeat. So it's about building that community of communities. Right now we're about um, – we just started really precisely tracking it. So let's say we're at about a half a million. We're going to 10x that because we know what that yields. Half a million We know plus. what that yields in terms of – Half a million reach, right, in terms of relevant reach from our communities. Okay. And we're trying not to be like, you know, oh, well, we have a million people in our community. Fuck you. No, you don't. You know, like, what's your what's your email uh, newsletter distribution look like? When we talk to a partner, we want to know specifics, not, you know, bullshit. You know, we want to know what the, what's the real number, okay? Because we have a mathematical formula that we want to grow that top line um, reach that community of communities number 
So Freelancers Union, let, let's just say, combined with all of our other activity right now is about 500,000 in total reach. And so we want to multiply that by 10, which means we're going to go out to the big, you know, worker platforms, like whether it's Indeed or Upwork or whoever, and we're going to go out and get the National Realtors Association. And we're going to go out and get all these various places that have these big communities. And we're just going to lump them onto the fire. Are, are there uh, are there reasons for people outside of members, members to go out and want to accrue the token or buy the token or accumulate the token? Or is it mostly just for members? Well, members, there's two kinds of members. I mean, you can be a coalition member, which is a non-consuming referral member, right? So I can have an economic interest in making referrals and like an insurance broker, right? Like I don't necessarily want to run my payroll. Maybe I do, maybe I don't, but like I got a whole network of people that I want to monetize so I can make referrals. I'm a coalition member. I believe in the future of the independent worker. So I can accrue the token. I can go buy the token. Uh, if I go out and buy the token and I'm not a coalition or employee member, it has no economic value to me in, in terms of the commons because what really unlocks that value is the membership. But the membership barrier is 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. not a, you know, yeah. these are regulatory check boxes that we're just saying like, hey, do you want to be a coalition member? It's super easy. Yeah. You know, and then feel free to accrue as much as you want. And whether or not you're running your own payroll, we see that activity is just as valuable. Um, because again, it, it adds to that North Star metric. Yeah. It's all about, so there's two, there's two metrics that matter the most. Total reach, which is our community of communities aggregated number. Like how many people can we get in this community of communities tent to talk to versus our, you know, through our various channels, education, distribution, newsletters, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And then when those things get blasted out by those associations, like when the freelancers union was doing this in the fall, they would send out these dedicated emails from them about us and the mm -hmm. partnership. Mm -hmm. And these leads would just like tidal wave in, you yeah. know, and it's like, well, how do we 20 X that? Right. So like, we're just going to rinse and repeat that strategy because it's really the only way that you can get the trust that you need in a B2C environment to get people to actually do, you know, to come into the fold in a traditional like paper app click or, you know, SEO environment in a B2C for a payroll product. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the unit economics are, are okay in terms of what it costs you, but like you would have to spend tens yeah. of millions of dollars to get the inertia yeah. and it's just not economical. So you can do it as a supplemental activity for presence, but you shouldn't depend on it for your core driver, which is well, why we're using the community approach with the incentives, both short and long-term. What's the most in demand like feature of the business? Like what's the use case? Healthcare. Healthcare. Healthcare is the killer. Number two is proof of income. Proof of income. Hmm. W2, baby. Like yeah. I want to rent an apartment in New York City now. Get out of here, man. You don't have, oh, let me show you my MetaMask, bro. Yeah, exactly. Like, or like, hey, you know, I've, I've been in business for myself for a year. No, you show up with a W2, nobody cares. You show up mm -hmm. with a pay stub. Here's my pay stub. Is there, like, okay. Is there a... Is there a feature that's being requested the most where you see a huge opportunity for growth that you don't have today that you want to inc incorporate? You know, it's, it's the, 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 it's not one feature. It's the vision is, you know, Hey, I could really use some help with my tax prep. You guys help with that. I could mm -hmm. really help. I could really use some help with my invoicing. So you talk about the full sort of supply chain of being an independent worker. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah. The, the completion of the product life cycle. That we need verticalizing, to verticalizing that Verticalizing stack. everything, integrating everything so it's a one-stop shop. Right now, we're just mainly in that kind of core payroll engine area. 
and then even getting into like the the full verticalization of like finding work. I mean, if we had a free job board where employers could come and, you know, put up and there was some gamification to this, right? Like we could create interesting incentives for them to be able to post. Maybe they have to become a coalition member. Uh, they have to stake some tokens or something. I'm just you know, futuristically speaking, a you know, pretty high bar in today's world. But um, let's say they had to stake some tokens. They don't have to spend any money, but they, they can buy some tokens from the community, stake those tokens, post the ad for free, get the job candidates from free for free from the from the from the environment. And and we're not taking any vig for any of that. But they're they're pulling from our members who are already running payroll with us, right? Yeah, of course. Is there any is there any way or is there any thought towards so you guys have built you know if you think about some of the the, the, the almost kind of the overlap a little bit you've built a lot of governmental relationships through East Denver do those do would the government have any um, opportunity to push something like this because you could imagine this would be a benefit to them as an ecosystem so like is there any overlap that you see that happening there. Yeah, and, and we've been we've been teasing the Department of Revenue and the Department of Labor if you, in Colorado here about doing a pilot. Um, we may very well do that this summer with their. So one of the use cases that they've been talking about is farm labor in the summer times in Colorado. Um, what will happen is you'll have these these workers that have permits that will go from farm to farm, and each farm is like paying them directly, and the the state's having a hard time getting their taxes paid, right? Because they're paying these independent contractors as 1099s. And the, yeah, they're legal and everything for because they have worker permits for this. There's a huge program in Colorado for this. That, mm-hmm. But you got, but then they go to the farmers and they're like, well, you guys need to like do withholdings. And they're like, well, they're not really our employees. They're here like two hours a day. You know, what do you want me to do? They're part-time. We don't have to do that. And they're right. Mm-hmm. But what if there was a way for them to plug into a system, get healthcare insurance, get the taxes? And this was a requirement by this, uh, any of these state subsidized programs, you had to be plugged into Opolis in order to be able to do this. So now the government's not taking responsibility for employer of record um, and neither are the farmers, right? So the individuals are taking responsibility for themselves, but it's being de-risked through a community platform and through much smarter procurement and administrative tools that just make it more efficient for everybody. The government likes this because they're going to get their money. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, this is, if you talk to the DOR people, the biggest cohort of difficulty they have is chasing around ind- Indies trying to get paid. Yep. From yep. a tax collection standpoint, it's by far the worst, by far, hands mm-hmm. down the worst cohort when it comes to paying their taxes is Indie workers. Yeah. And so they like it because it's like, well, it sort of replicates the traditional employer model, which is why, honestly, the reason why the employer model gets pushed so much isn't because it's so great for workers. It's because they get paid their taxes. The government likes it because it puts the responsibility squarely on the back of the entrepreneur who's paying the payroll. And if you don't file your weekly federal tax withholdings, you're going to jail, home skillet. You know, it's a serious offense. It is, and, and like, it's not even the worker's problem that you didn't pay it, right? They're oh, no, it's yours. So this way, you're sort of changing the game dynamics and incentives so it still can get done. There's incentive to do it, but it's the right incentives and the risk is pushed to the right people and the responsibility is pushed to the right people. So then 
from an monopolist perspective, we would have no incentive not to pay those taxes because we're not trying to make money on keeping people's taxes. We have a small processing fee that we make just for running things through. Uh, we call it a community sustainability fee. And that scales very nicely at volume. So all we care about is getting that you know, total payroll volume scaled and we're happy. And then we care about maintaining good relationship with the government because you know, the EOR still has the responsibility here, but because it's a co-op and because it's a community, it's a little bit different. And we don't want to undermine that for everybody else. So we have a, a stewardship responsibility to make sure that that's done. So the game design is just much cleaner and much more sustainable this way. And it's, it's less um, hostile, honestly, when it comes to like, if there's an issue, it gets resolved much easier without, you know, issue, without problems. Yeah. Okay. I got two more questions. I know we're running out of time here. Last, first, the first question, since you have a startup, you also have the event. What do you, what are some advice for companies that are building in the crypto space that want to have a presence at ETH Denver to get through the noise and stand out a little bit? Any kind of tips or feedback of, you know, kind of companies that are, you know, it's, it's chaotic. These events are always hard to break through, you know, any, any yeah. advice on how to kind of like get through the noise and be recognized at these types of events? I, I would learn how to differentiate yourself through community. Number one thing. Okay. Community is the new IP. Um, and it's not about throwing a, a sick party or even having dank swag or whatever. All those, those things do help, but you've got to figure out what's going to really attract people to build a community around your effort. Okay. If you can't, if you can't figure out how to do that in web three, you won't succeed. And I don't care how good your tech is. I've seen fantastic tech fail because they can't build community out of a wet paper bag, right? They couldn't do it. If you ask me why I'm successful, look, I'm actually much more of an introvert than people think, right? Like people are, oh, you're so extroverted. No, 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 no. I love sitting around like with my own thoughts and, you know, recharging by myself and meditation and, you know, regenerative, you know, type of things for myself and my energy. But what I'm good at is I'm, I'm very good at communicating a vision that's bigger than myself. So step one to building community is have a vision that's bigger than yourself that other people are going to care about. Agreed completely. That's a great okay. concept. Two, be able to communicate that in a way that's not about you. Mm-hmm. Three, act in a way that's not about you. So in other words, have some humility about it. And then four, do it over the long term. Okay, persevere, do it over the long term. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Take five million no's from people who doubt you and don't care. Okay, you can't care. The reason why you have to cast this vision that's bigger than yourself is because the only way that you'll stick to it through all the no's, through all the turmoil, through all the valleys and all the bullshit is if you believe it with conviction that this is the right thing and the purposeful thing for you to do. That's it. So with Opolis and Eat Denver, the reason why I don't have a lot of other things going on is one, I don't have time, but two, I feel very purposeful in these things. I feel you could say called to them and you've known me long enough that like, I say that really seriously. Like, I don't say that like, like I'm trying to convince you of something. Like, I don't need to convince anybody of anything. You can watch me go. Like, people watch me work and they're like, holy shit, man. I have no idea how you do what you do. And it's like, neither do I half the time. Believe it. I love it. 
but I just, you just, you, you have to, you have to get out of yourself in my opinion, or even get over yourself. Because in the end, I look at it like this. I'm a, I would, I would hope that my example becomes one of servant leadership where I've, I've got these goals, these purposes. On the one end, we want to build the world's largest live action web three experiment to give people a, a template, a slice of the future, an experience that motivates and inspires them, right? That's East Denver, okay? On the Opolis side, I'm aiming to democratize employment mm-hmm. on a global scale. Yep. Okay, these things are way bigger than me, dude. Without way bigger. Yep, Okay. So, and, and I, but I also understand that. Like I'm a, this is why we use the term steward because like, I don't care about being chief executive officer or, you know, board chair, fucking whatever. Right. I don't care. Like I literally don't care. I don't at all. And I just care about, I care about protecting the vision, protecting the projects and stewarding in a way that would be honoring to the communities that, 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 that this will impact. And that's worked out very well for me too. It's it's not, this isn't all at my own personal detriment either. Like the law of reciprocity in the universe has been very nice to me. So like I, I've gotten mine and I don't even think my big reward, so to speak, has even showed up yet, right? Like I'm still working on this stuff. Yeah, of course. All right, my final my final question. Um, I always, I try to ask this because a lot of our audience are investors. They're, you know, angels in our syndicate or fund LPs or people that are VCs, whatever. You know, you put let's put your v, your investor hat on, which you actually do wear sometimes with the Buffer Corn Ventures. What are oh, some yeah. things? Yeah, what what are some things that you're excited about from an investor perspective? Like, where where do you think some of the big opportunities right now are for early stage investment, and where do you want? Where are you spending your time and looking for opportunity? Well, I'm I'm w- awaiting the emergence of uh, the investment rush into UIUX and Web three usability. We haven't even really gotten into that yet. We've been fighting the protocol wars and the layer wars and all that shit, ZK wars. I keep talking about that. I think that now with the maturity of the layer twos and Solana and other, uh, we're finally getting to a point where there is a path forward. Finally getting there. Finally getting there. Well, like Farcaster is a good example of that. Lens is a good example of that. Like these are, these are projects that are, Luxo was doing a bunch of that with, you know, Fabian was doing a bunch of this stuff. Um, I, I think we're going to see a tidal wave of this because yeah. in order to go mainstream, I think there's uh-huh. at least a conclusion that I've made, which is, you know, the, the purported trade-offs that we used to talk about in crypto where it's like, well, it's usability comes at an expense because it's, you know, privacy or whatever. And it's like, I don't think the, the trade-offs are going to work. I think we got to lean into the problem and it's, it's and not or, and we've got to solve these things and they might be complex and difficult. But we've put nowhere in nowhere near the amount of capital that we're going to put into this problem, and it's gonna it's gonna be a, a, a rush, and you're gonna see uh, almost 2017 esque resurgence of everything being modernized. You're gonna see a different approach. It's not gonna be full DAP and all this other crap like they were doing back then with the ICOs, but you're gonna see legitimate businesses popping up with real business models that have Web3 interfaces, uh, integrated wallets, abstraction of private key management, signing transactions embedded like under the hood, pre-gas paid, like all of this stuff is going to be, user experience is going to be the next frontier. And that's where I'm paying attention, that and the convergence of AI and Web3. 
Those two things are where I'm sinking my dough. And even DAOs 2.0, DeFi 2.0, NFTs 2.0 are going to be benefactors of this. They're going to be benefactors of the modernization of UX and all these other things that happen. Um, You shouldn't need a PhD in degenerate economics to be able to use a DeFi protocol. It's fucking stupid. Okay. And the fact that we sit here in our little echo chamber go, well, we need to get more people using DeFi. It's like, oh, no, we need to like make it easier. You guys don't understand how this works. Adoption yeah. curves don't happen. The reason why we didn't hit product market fit on some of these things was, well, multiple layers of issues, but large part of it's accessibility. Yeah. People don't know how to use this shit and they don't yeah. trust it as a result of that. It doesn't look, act, feel like anything they know. So like, it's scary and they're just not going to touch it yep. ever. Yep. So I'll unless you, we fix the, that. The one, the one company that I think actually broke through and they were, and it actually drove the most adoption in Web3 history, in my opinion, was MBA Top Shot. Actually, they were the ones who brought the IP, made a usable experience, made it super. My, it was the only application yeah. that my friends that are never touched crypto ever did anything in crypto was on MBA Top Shot. Then it crashed because it was too hyped, and they all stopped using crypto again. But that all being said, that was a, that was a glimpse into what was possible and what is possible. So to me, that was I, the, no. I 100 percent agree. I mean, I, I I mean, I think MBA Top Shot is actually going to be a very important sort of you know. Too artifact in in terms of like crypto history yeah. i think it's going to be just as important as punks, honestly I, I still i'm still acquiring all the time so i agree with you no um, i i see you on twitter all the time dude i love it i love it john you're the man this was a wonderful conversation i could do this anytime with you buddy you have a big week ahead um good luck i hope you can uh i hope you can keep some peace and sanity throughout this next couple next couple weeks because this is i know events are so stressful and chaotic but all right well i'm going to give you a little piece of alpha alpha i dropped it a little earlier but RFK Jr. will be in the house on March 2nd talking about privacy, property rights, regulatory capture, some pretty avant-garde sort of controversial stuff. And uh, he'll be doing a fireside chat with Caitlin Long. And Caitlin is the only person in the history of the world to sue the Fed. Wow. And he's sued the government about 500 times. Okay, so <laughs> we're going to have some fireworks going off. And people who are curious to know what the political landscape is going to look like when it comes to the fall here, I think RFK Jr. is going to be a big force and could be a big mouthpiece and advocate for crypto. He's the only candidate that I'm aware of that's been advocating for no CBDCs, property rights, sovereignty, digital innovation. Uh, regulatory pathways, like things that actually make sense instead of this dark, you know, sort of nefarious sort of bullshit that we we're dealing with currently. So March 2nd, five o'clock main stage, we're shutting everything else down and we're going to listen to what he has to say. And I think it's going to be great. Awesome, buddy. I'll I'll hit you up when I'm out there. I'm excited to get out there and see everybody. Um, This was great. Thank you so much for joining, brother. My pleasure. This has been a Redbeard Ventures production.